0: I am Eric Smith, obviously. I am the I am the pastor of discipleship and outreach here. And I'm excited that you're here this morning. I just want to extend my welcome to you this morning. If this is your first time here. We really truly are glad you are here, and everything that we have been doing has been towards making you feel loved and welcomed in this place. Because that's what we want, regardless of where you're from regardless of, of what you do regardless of where you've been you are welcome in this place and you are loved and we are excited to have you and so I just want to extend that again welcome and for everyone that is back from the holidays and back from vacations and back from families and all of the stuff that come with the holidays welcome I'm excited to see you and so excited about what god has for us and you know and and really just happy new year you know it's a new year and it's a reason to get excited and all that. So I want to pray real quick and then we're going to get into it. We're going to talk a little bit about this new year. Grace, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just love you. We thank you. We praise you for, for being in this place this morning, Lord. We praise you for the worship that we get to be a part of, Lord, that, that we get to lift our praises to you, the one who is worthy of them. God, you deserve all the honor and the glory. Lord, we're just praying for hearts that are stirred this morning for you. We are praying for boldness to respond to the name of Jesus in this place this morning, God, and to be obedient and faithful to the call to be on mission with you. Lord, as we look forward to this new year, we want to be a church that is following where you want us to go, God. We want to be a church that is pushing forward the kingdom of Christ, that we are resting in the power and the victory of Jesus. We depend on it. We lean on it. We cling to it, and we are obedient with it and go out so that those who are far from you might come home. They might know that name, that beautiful name that has given us freedom and hope and joy that surpasses all understanding, God, that has given us our salvation. We want people to know you, Jesus. We wanna make you famous in this world. Lord, we wanna thank you for this time together. We're just praying our hearts would be receptive to what you have for us in your word this morning, God. Open our eyes, open our ears to hear, God. Let us be fertile ground for what you would have for us. Lord, we wanna grow in these moments and we want all of it to stir our affections and our praises for the King. Lord, we love you and thank you and it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray, amen. So New Year, man, of course I wind up landing on the New Year sermon, right, that you have New Year's resolutions and you kind of come into this thing and it's a new year and so... I hate that ki- that side of it. I don't like resolutions as it is. I'm not a big fan of resolutions, but I'll tell you about that in just a second. But it's just that it's kind of, you know, man, I don't want to be cliche and have to go with that resolution sermon and all of that. But that's what time of year it is. It's a new year. It's a new opportunity. It's a new beginning so there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with, with looking to the future. There's nothing wrong with being excited about where we are. There's nothing wrong with that new opportunity that God has given us in another year. And so we should kind of explore that, and we shouldn't just step over it. I'm just not a fan of New Year's resolutions. I've never been that successful at them. I've never really been able to pull any of them off. you know. And the truth is, I probably fit in with most people because statistics are going to tell you that By mid-February, 80% of the people who have set some New Year's resolutions have already stopped, and only about 8% of those people are really going to be successful at a New Year's resolution. Do we have any overachievers who've stuck to their New Year's resolution in here? Nice. Good job, bud. One person. (laughs) a boy. So, you know, it's just what it is, right? It's that time of year we're going to make these resolutions. I'm guilty of it. I remember when I was turning 40. I walked around as I was approaching 40 and and going, man, I'm about to show everybody what 40's supposed to look like, right? I'm going to get in the gym. I ain't going to let this little 40 stigma hold me back, get in shape. I'm going to be physical. I'm going to be all in there just hitting it hard on the grind. And then, you know, I turned 40 in November, and then Thanksgiving comes. And I was like, well, maybe I should wait because Thanksgiving's coming. And then well, you can't start a diet between Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? That, you can't do that. So, And then we normally do it at New Year's, so I don't want to start a diet at New Year's. And then New Year's fell like on the, begin, the middle of the week, so I don't want to start a diet the day after New Year's. I'm just going to wait till Monday, you know, because that's when you start diets. Nobody starts a diet in the middle of the week. They all start them on Monday. So that's the way it went. And so you know, we kind of went in that process each week and, and so on, and so I'm 41 now, and I'm glad to report that what 40 looks like is round. <laughs> That's what it looks like, and so far, 41 isn't looking much better. We're still kind of in that same shape, but it's just what we do, right? It's, it's how we are. We go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, and then it doesn't work, you know, and, and the fact is I really want to get in shape. I love the gym. The gym is a very, very special place for me. I, I spend time there. I put my earphones in. I listen to Christian music. Um, I spend time with God. I, I'm able to kind of do my workout. It's a good time. And, and so going to the gym's a good thing. It's good for me mentally. It's good for me physically. It's good for me even spiritually. And so I should be making time for the gym, but for some reason, as you can see, I still haven't hit the gym. And the, the deal is what's going on there? Why, why do I know that I wanna start a diet, but I don't. I wanna get in shape, but I can't. I wanna hit the gym, but I can't. And what it really comes down to is I don't really wanna deal with the real problem. Just by show of hands, how many people have I ever eaten in front of, or eaten with? That's a good crowd, all right. For those of you that I haven't, just let me know, we'll go to lunch. All right, here's your chance to be fully transparent. Now, the same show of hands, How many people would agree with me that I love to eat? Those hands shot up a whole lot faster than the other ones. That's crazy. Right. You know what I mean? That's it. But that's the deal. That's my problem. I keep talking about a diet this or a diet that or that diet doesn't work for me or all that. I don't have a dieting problem. I have a I love food problem. I love food. I enjoy food. I like to eat. Dieting is not my problem. I don't even have a commitment problem. I'll go to the gym. When I get into it, I'm in it. You can ask my wife. Like, I'm hardcore. I'm in it. I don't have a gym problem. What I have is a busyness problem, and I don't want to deal with my busyness problem. I don't want to deal with my food problem because I like to eat. I take pleasure in it. Like, you've seen me. I enjoy it. This isn't like something where I'm just, like, throwing it back just for the sake of throwing it back. I love food. I enjoy it but it's at my own expense, right? It's at my own expense physically. It's at my own expense uh, mentally. It's at my own expense in my belt line, you know, and I feel the pressure of it. I feel the pressure of it when I try to tie my shoes, right? And, and I hate that, but it's still not enough to make me deal with that problem that I love to eat. I don't want to deal with it, don't want to get after it. And then I know the gym needs about to be a priority, but I can't, arrange my life in a way and make room and margin for something that I know is good and right for me. It's gonna help me and just feeling better. Fact is, I'll probably have more energy because of it. And then it's one of the greatest times I have with God. I have heard from God so many times sitting on a bench press by myself. And it seems weird and I don't know why and I didn't expect it. I just liked the gym and wanted to get in shape. But for me in that place, It's a good spot for me and God, but I don't want to deal with my busyness in order to have that thing that's good and right for me, and so it's hard, and as we look forward to this new year, I mean, that's what happens, right? We wind up making all of these resolutions. We we go, okay, this is the year that I'm going to do this. This is the year that I'm going to do this. I'm going to do something about this problem. I'm going to make a change and then we have the hardest time because we never deal with the real issue that caused us to do the resolution in the first place. It's just the resolution. I just say I'm gonna do it. I just say this is the year that I'm gonna read the Bible more. This is the year that I'm gonna go to the gym. This is the year that I'm gonna make my prayer time something that's a priority. This is the year that I'm gonna spend more time with my family and less time at work. This is the year that I'm gonna quit spending money on frivolous things that don't serve me for any reason. And then what do we do? We're right back in that same spot, right? Most of the time by mid-February, you know? And it's just, it's a problem. And we love to say new year, new me, because that's a cool little thing to say, right? But then by March, back doing the same old thing, right? Having to deal with the same old stuff because most of the time we never want to deal with the real problem. And so how do we approach that? How do we approach that in this year? You know, do you think that that there's something to that when it comes to our desires with God? How many times have we said we're gonna spend more time with him? Gonna read the Bible more? How many times have we said I'm gonna commit to my connect group from now on and then we wind up missing that very week that we made the commitment, right? Right? Something just got in the way. How many times we said we're gonna lay down our sin, never pick it up again, and then in no time, it's eating us up and stealing our joy? It happens. So what do we do as we look to the future? How do we deal with that? How do we process that in, in our godly desires? How do we, we set our eyes on him and, and look for it? We're gonna be in Luke 23, 32 through 43, if you wanna turn there in your Bible. And as I was praying for, for this um, message, we were shopping during Christmas and um, we came across this one little thing at a boutique and, you know, and it was one of my favorite passages of scripture, but, but just because of the impact it had when I heard it for the first time and, you know, and it's paraphrasing, but it says, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. You know, and, and so, of course, I, my mind went to, to Luke 23, not just because my mind works that way, because it actually set it on the little thing that we were buying. So, um, <laughs> But it did. It went to Luke 23. And so I, I turned there in Scripture, and we were shopping, and I was reminded of a promise. But I also saw two men hanging on a cross, and I saw two different responses to that. And so that's where we're gonna go and what I wanna talk about and say. Let's go there. Two other men, both criminals, were led out with him to be executed. And that's probably actually a little bit later. Let's start a little sooner than that. Yeah, that's it. Two other criminals were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at a place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals on the right, one on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God, Messiah, the chosen one. The soldier also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written, Notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for what we are getting or we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And there's, so there's a lot to unpack in this scripture. And there's a lot to see right here. And I wanna show you a couple of really cool things. The first thing is, anytime Jesus says, truly I tell you, or verily I say to you, anytime he says that, whatever follows that is something we need to be listening to. It is something that needs to get our attention, and it's something that we need to hold on to. It's said 76 times in the New Testament, and only Jesus says it. So if he says it, if you see it, if you're reading scripture, and you see that, whatever follows that, stop and marinate on it. Stop and take it in. Stop and receive whatever it is Jesus is saying in that moment, because there's power in it there's a promise in it, there's a joy in it, there's freedom in it, there's forgiveness in it, hold on to it, every time he ever says it, cling to it. And with this, what's he say? Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. And so another cool thing I want you to see, we're gonna show you a picture up here. If you look back, it says that above him was written notice, and that written notice read, this is the king of the Jews. Right, and so just to unpack this just for you a little bit, Pilate was very clear when he was dealing with the crowds and the Pharisees and all of this stuff that he found no fault in this man. And when they still cried out, "Give us Jesus," he basically, well, he literally, he washed his hands, said, "This is not on me," and so he hung a sign over Jesus. And you see right here, it says in Scripture that it was written in three different languages. It was written in Hebrew, it was written in Greek, and it was written in Latin. It was written in Hebrew because that was a common language. It was also written in Greek because that was the, the common street language at that time. And then Latin was just beginning to be introduced. And so it was written in all three languages. But the cool thing about it is when he wrote it, one thing you have to understand about languages is all languages point to Jerusalem. So everything that's east of Jerusalem is going to read right to left, and everything that's west of Jerusalem is going to read left to right. Make sense? So if you look at this, what this actually says, I'm not going to try to read this in Hebrew because I don't have that, so we're just, I'm just going to tell you in English what it says. It says, Jesus or Nazareth, the king of Jews, all right? And if you look in scripture, if you look back, they asked him, don't write that. They said, right, it is the man who says he is the king of Jews. And what Pilate told them was, what I have written, I have written. But if you translate that in Greek, what he really says is, what I have written will remain written forever. That is the accurate translation. And what he did, if you look at this as an acrostic, is over Jesus, if you take the first letter of each word, it spells Yahweh the unspeakable name of God. And so for all the people that were gonna come across, he knew all of those people we're gonna see, he literally named him who he was, God. And there's just something cool about that and there's something to that, you know, it comes free with your subscription today, I'm not gonna charge you for it, but it's just something that's amazing to me to see how powerful it was in that moment that maybe even Pilate knew what was going on. And at the very least, he was rubbing the Pharisees' face in it by going, look, this is on you. And he pronounced him as God. And so it's just really cool to see how powerful God's word is. And as we look and as we talk about this stuff today, you know, that 412 reading plan that's coming out, man, if you're going to commit to anything, commit to that. Commit to just unpacking God's word and the truth of God's word and the power of God's word and just the majesty of who he is in God's word because there are things like that that happen time and time and time again in scripture. And so if we look though, we see hanging Jesus on the cross and two men beside him. And so the one man, he looks at Jesus and what does he say? You Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Right. And so as he stands there, as he watched all that happened to Jesus the whole way to this moment, all of the mockery, all of the beatings, all that they did to him, all that they were continuing to do with him. And if you look in Mark, it actually says that the criminals were mocking him as well. As all of those things were happening, as he saw Jesus being hung up on a cross and him saying, forgive them for they know not what they do, the only thing that he cared about in that was if you are who you say you are, fix this problem for us. Save yourself and save me. He saw Jesus as a means to an end. John Piper, he, he talks about the way we deal with God a lot. And he says that we kind of treat God as a tyrant. And, and so we all know what a tire is. If we got a bunch of men in this place and we got a bunch of men who, who work on vehicles and stuff like that, if you're ever going to buy a used car, what's the one thing you always check to make sure it has before you buy it? A spare tire, a jack, and a tire, right? We know it. We know we need it. So you're not buying a used car if it doesn't have it. Always go and look because it's hard to get the one you need if you don't have it. You know, My dad, we go on trips. That's the first thing he asked me. Got your jack, got your tire, and you got everything you need to change the tire, right? So we understand the value of a tire and we keep it, we hold on to it. But what do we do? We tuck it nice and neatly in the place that they arranged for it in the car which generally will cause you to lose your Jesus trying to get it out. And it's there and it's tucked away and it's clean and all of that, but it's there and we know it's there. And so we have a comfort in that that it's always there when we need it. Right? But the problem with that, the problem when we see God as a tire iron, and we keep him tucked away and we know he's always there and it's, it's there when we need it and, we, and he's gonna come through for us, we're basically making him a means to an end because here's the truth about the tire iron. We all know that we need it. Truth is, we love it, right? When you're on the side of the road, you love the fact that you have a tire iron. But this is the problem. You love it because it helps you fix the thing you really care about, the car, You don't care about the tire iron as much. You really care about the car. And that tire iron is a means to fix the car, which is really and truly what we love. And so John Piper is very clear that we have to be cautious. We can't be like this man because all he cared about was what God could do for him in that moment. If you were the Messiah, save yourself and save us. Fix my problem. I need you to be the answer to everything for me. I just need you to take care of all the problems. And when there are no problems, I'm going to tuck you neatly away underneath the seat. And then when I need you again, I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to try to use you again, God, because I really don't care about you. I care about the car. I care about me. I care about me. I care about what's going on in my life. I care about the trials and the tribulations I'm going through. I don't care if they bring you glory. I don't care if they're intended for my good. I don't care if they will grow me and shape me in a way that makes me clearly see you better. I just don't want to deal with the problem. I don't want to have that problem. I never really want to face the real issue. And so God, I just need you to be that tiring for me. You know, I want you to be that one. You know, and as we look at our lives as we look at this new year, what does that look like? What does it look like when I'm just using God as a means to an end? What does that look like for me? How am I how am I doing in my Sundays? Is my Sunday let's ask this question. Does my Sunday start after church? Does it actually start after church? Like that's my time. So that's when I get to be free. That's when I get to go and do what I want to do. And so I'm going to struggle and I'm just going to bear through and I'm going to grit it and I'm going to hang on and I'm just going to push through church. I'm going to get there when I can get there. I'm going to sit in the seats and I'm going to do what I have to do. And then as soon as I'm done with that, now it's my time. Now Sunday's begun. That's when we're using God as a means to an end. I'm just doing that for insurance. I'm just doing that to make sure he's there, right? How does it look when I'm going to my connect group? Is that a a part of my day that I just need to get over with? Do I see that there's value in it? Do I see that there's something to it? Or do I really realize that 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 is where life transformation is happening? That's where I'm learning to encounter brothers and sisters that may not necessarily look like me, believe like me, talk like me, do everything that I do. I'm learning to love them well and then learning to let them love me. Am I so invested in what's happening in a connect group? If you're not in one, go talk to somebody who's really invested in a connect group. They will show you why you want to be in a connect group and be all in. Be completely in, completely invested in it because there's something happening in the connect groups that are really truly filled with people who just want to do life together, who want to grow in their understanding of God, who want to serve together, who want to just pray for one another and love one another. God has done some stuff in this church through connect groups when people hit trials, when they hit tribulations, and those people in their connect group come running, there's something happening in those things. Why wouldn't we pour ourselves out in them and make them a priority? There's something powerful to it. It's not just something that we want you to do as a church. It's not just something that we keep pounding about. It's where transformation is happening. There have been salvations. People have been baptized by their groups. There's something going on in that. There's a joy that happens in that place. I have made so many, I wouldn't even call them friends. I have found family in my connect groups. It's unbelievable. I don't want that to be a tire in my life. I want that to be something that I'm putting first and foremost because it's good and right for me. What does it look like when we're serving? When we come into this place, is that the only day we show up? when we have to serve so we don't default on our obligation, right? That'd be the day I get some church. I gotta serve that day anyways. What are we doing with God when we do that? What are we doing with our view about God? Are we making him a tire iron? Are we just using him as a a means to an end? I'm getting some. I'm there a little bit, God. I'm making sure I'm kind of keeping you on retainer just in case I need you, right? Right? I'm checking in from time to time just to make sure you and me are good. I don't care about your majesty. I don't care about your sovereignty. I don't care about your provision. I don't care about your glory, your love. And if I don't care about those things, how in the world am I ever going to stand in awe of God? It happens in this place. We get to come together and we get to get excited about the name of Jesus and we are joined together under the banner of his name, joined together by a redemption that's not our own and we get to stand with our hands raised and praise the King of kings and Lord of lords. That is what's happening in this place. I want to be here for that. I want to see that. I want to see God move. Even if it's not for me that day, I want to see him move for somebody else because praise his name, he's still moving. And it's good and right for me to see it. It does my heart good. It reminds me of his promises. It reminds me of what he's done in my life. I'm okay that it's not always about me. As long as God's moving, that's all I care about. As long as someone's seeing the name of Jesus and responding to it, they're hearing it, and it stirs them to a point where they respond boldly, then yes and amen. Because it's about God's glory. It's about his presence. It's about what he can do and not what I can do. It's so much more than about me. I want it to be about him. I want my true affections to be about him. I don't care about the car because he's got the car. He's got the car under control. He can handle the car. So I want to be about him. I want to put everything I have. I want to look to this new year, and I want to commit to doing what God has called me to do. I want to go to places he's called me to go, and I want to say the things that he's called me to say because I want people to know the name of Jesus and experience that hope. I want them to feel that presence, that presence that we felt just a few minutes ago. I want them to feel that. I want to know his love. I want to see his glory and I wanna stand in awe. I don't wanna make him an errand boy to make my life better. Philippians 3, seven through 14 says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now that I've already obtained all this, not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for what Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I don't care what your 2019 looked like. I pray that it was fantastic. I pray it was the best year you ever had. But if it wasn't, it's done. Yesterday is done. 2019 is done. Today, we get to look forward to God's promises. Today, we get to look forward to God's truth. We get to hold on to Christ and forsaking all things. Forsaking all things for the knowledge of him. It doesn't matter the material things that we lose. It doesn't matter the places where we find ourselves. It's the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ that's going to sustain us and hold us through those storms. It's what's going to carry us through them storms. This is the one that calms the storms in the first place. I want to know that man. I want to know the man who can be there with me in that storm and say to the seas, be still and they are still. Because here's the deal. They're coming. They're coming. We know they're going to come. There are going to be things that are happening. There are going to be stuff that we have to suffer through. As a matter of fact, we should count it as a joy because it is like Christ. We are getting to experience Him in a way that's different. It's okay that I broke down on the side of the road. It's okay that I am where I am because I have Christ. What are you trying to show me in this moment, God? What are you trying to, to lay out before me that I might know you better? We get to look forward to the future and understanding whatever may come. It is nothing compared to the surpassing knowledge of who Christ is and the truth of what he has done for us and what he has called us to. So we I want to push away from being that man. I don't want to use God as a tyrant. And so we find another man. The man who looked at Jesus and he stood in the face of this other mocking man and he asked him, "Why are you mocking him?" We deserve what we are getting. We deserve what's falling on us. This death, this punishment that we're receiving, we earned it. And he saw this man just like the other one did. He saw all the mockery. He saw all of the, the beatings. He saw everyone doing everything that they did. And he saw Jesus in spite of the mockery, in spite of what they were flinging at him and what they were doing to him, all of those things, he saw Jesus say, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. He saw that, and his response was completely different than the other man's because in that moment, he recognized he wasn't worthy. He recognized that he had earned everything he was getting. He recognized that even though Jesus didn't earn it, that he was there on that place, and he acknowledged him as Messiah. And he said something so simple after he tells the guy, quit mocking this man. He did nothing to deserve what he got or he's getting. And he looks at Jesus And he acknowledges him as king by saying, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. Remember me. And Jesus told him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Is there any better news that we could ever hear? But what did it came through? It came through owning the problem. It came through him acknowledging his sin. It came through him knowing and realizing where he was. He had got himself there and that there was nothing he could do about it and if there was any hope, it was the Messiah that was hanging beside him. That that was his hope. And so he poured himself out and he trusted in that. He repented and he was saved. So as we look forward, as we, as we go and, and we start to say all these things and all these New Year's resolutions, are we any different than this man? Is there not a necessary need for repentance? Is that not gonna be what moves us from the place where we were to the place where we wanna be in Christ? It's essential to our salvation. It's essential to our walk with God to turn away, it's a military term, to just completely walk in a different direction. Isn't that kind of what you're saying with New Year's resolutions anyways, that you just wanna stop doing the thing you're doing or either you wanna start doing the thing you're not doing? There is a repentance that's necessary and there is something for all of us and we are all in need of it because we are all liars. Because this is one thing, I, maybe I'm the only one. I don't know of anyone who's lied to me more than me. And it happens a lot around this time of year where I start telling myself I'm gonna do things and I start promising myself I'm gonna be things and I'm gonna put things down and I'm gonna do all of these things and I'm not gonna do these other things and then by mid-February, guess where we at? Right back, right? I told myself five years ago I was gonna be better than I am today. I'm not sure that I am. I told myself 10 years ago I would never be in this place. And here I am. You know, I have, no one's ever lied to me more than I lie to me. And that was what that man quit doing. He quit lying to himself. He quit trying to, to convince himself that he didn't deserve what he got, that he wasn't there for a reason. he finally, in the face of Jesus, said, I am unworthy. I need you. And he acknowledged him as king. But it was God's glory the man did nothing aside from acknowledge Christ as Messiah and own his sin and repent, and he received a promise. And that's the thing, as we, as we look at that in here, there's some truth that we need to understand. The first thing is, there's some of us in here that are wondering if they've gone too far I'm past the point of redemption. There's no way Christ is gonna redeem me. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've done too many bad things. He knows my heart. I know good and well. I've done way too much. There's no way that this Christ would save me. There is no way. This man was moments from death. Moments from death. And there was salvation. There was redemption. There is never a moment that you are going to be in to where a repentant heart will not call salvation down as we call Jesus our Lord and King. If we have a repentant heart, if we confess him as Savior and Lord, there is no moment, not even right before we take our last breath. Death has no sting for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are willing and bold to face the problem head on and acknowledge it and then go, I don't want this anymore, God, but I need you. We always wanna minister. We always wanna tell someone about Jesus. We always want them to know. And if you're in here this morning and ask you, I want you to hear one thing from me. I promise you, you don't know anything about my story, but I can tell you there is no place you can go that's too far from what Jesus can do. There is no place you can go. If you don't hear anything this morning, you hear that you are, that redemption is there for us all because we are all sinners and the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's no sin worse than another. There's no sin that's greater There's no sin that's way more impactful. There's nothing that's worse than anything else. It's all sin and it all is dishonoring to God, regardless of what it is. And so we're all on equal ground. We're all on the same turf when it comes to that and we're all in need of a savior. This man did not go too far to where redemption and the promises of the king could not be his. But don't let that make you hold on and wait. Don't let that be the thing that goes, well, I'll just try to get right. I'll try to do a little better. Don't let that be the thing that holds you back because this is the one thing I can tell you. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. If today is the day for you, then take, seize that day. Take it and hold on to it. Don't run from it. Don't put it off till next Sunday. Don't keep telling yourself that. You've been telling yourself that all of 2019. Don't do that. If today is the day of salvation, then receive your salvation. All it takes is just owning your own stuff. I'm repenting of my sins, God. Grant me repentance. I want to be different. I want your desires to be my desires. I want to lay down everything that was me and pick up everything that is you. It's just that easy, and then God's going to take care of the rest, and you have a church body that will walk with you in that. It's not about whether or not you can be something or whether or not you can do something. Don't let this moment pass you by because the Bible tells us we're like a vapor. We're a vapor. We're here one minute and gone the next. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us have that. And if you're in some place or if we're in some place to where we thought we were and we're realizing that we're not, seize that opportunity of God is putting on your heart. Don't run from that when the Holy Spirit is telling you it's time. Because it's his power. It's his power that does it. And if you already have, trust it. Because I know there are people in here that are still trying to repay God for a free gift that are still trying to give God back what they think he owes. Yes, I know you're king. Yes, I know you're messiah. Yes, I know you're God almighty. Yes, I know that there is forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I know that the only thing I have to do is freely accept that gift of grace. But hold on and let me write you something. Let me do something for you. Hold on, let me see if I can't weigh, I can't balance those scales for you just a little bit. Let me see if I can't do something. I'll try to be a good person. I'll try to stop cussing God I'm gonna show up on Sundays I'm gonna do what I can do I'm gonna try to go to this group thing. I ain't really sure I'm bought in yet but I'm gonna try to do what I can do. I'm gonna do whatever every, whatever you ask me I'm in God because I'm obligated I need to pay you back that'll never work. It'll never sustain it'll never hold. this man didn't get down on that cross or from that cross. he didn't go on a mission trip. He didn't go serve downtown to the homeless. He didn't start a ministry. He didn't go put on a blue and orange shirt. It didn't happen. So there was no earning. There was no justification for Christ's forgiveness, for the power of the resurrection in Jesus Christ that freed him from everything. That stuff didn't matter. He received his promise, he received his salvation in that moment, and there was nothing that he did after that. All he did was confess his sins and confess Jesus as Messiah and Lord. And the good news is, we're going to see that man again in paradise. What's it going to be like to see that man? What is hell? Or a better question, what if he would have got down? What does life look like? If he would have got down from the cross, what would his life have looked like? If he had been promised something, if he had seen the truth of Jesus Christ, if he had held on to that promise for the rest of his existence and he walked in that promise that there is coming a day, I am gonna be with Jesus in paradise, what would his life look like? He'd have went on mission trips, but he'd have went on mission trips because God is good and Jesus called us into that mission and he would have went with a full heart and a joy and a comfort and a trust to walk in whatever Jesus called him to and he would have pronounced boldly that Jesus Christ is king. Not because he owed him something, but because what Jesus had done on the cross for him. Because Jesus had poured himself out and he had witnessed a faultless man absorbing the wrath He would have clung to the power of that. He would have clung to what was happening in that moment and that promise that Jesus gave him. What would that have looked like? What does that look like for us? Because if we are in Christ Jesus, that same promise is ours. There's gonna be a day where I'm gonna be in paradise. I'm gonna see this man again. I'm gonna see Jesus. I'm gonna see all the saints. I am gonna see the multitudes and I can't wait. I am so excited about what that looks like. But until then, I want the joy of that to overflow into every place I set my feet. I want people to hear Jesus and see Jesus in the way I serve and the way I love, not because I'm special, not because I have the power or I'm gifted in some special way, but because it just overflows because of what Jesus did for me. I don't have to rely on my power, I can rely on His. What power did that man have? He was hanging from a cross but he clung to what Jesus was saying. In 1 Peter 1, three through eight, it says, "'Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. "'In his great mercy he has given us new birth "'into a living hope through the resurrection "'of Jesus Christ from the dead, "'and into an inheritance that can never perish, "'spoil, or fade. "'This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, "'who through faith are shielded by God's power, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, the provenness of your faith, it's of greater worth than gold because what? Well, gold burns up as it's refined and that it may result in praise, glory, and honor. When Jesus Christ is revealed, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Is that my heart this morning? Is that how I'm walking in faith? Is that how I'm looking to my new year? Is that how I'm, I'm sustaining everything that I want to do? Because this is the truth. I read an article by John Piper, so you're getting two quotes from John Piper today. You're welcome. It's, uh, it was about New Year's resolutions and whether or not they were biblical or not. And what he said was, it's okay to resolve to do things. Just do them. Just do them. That's the thing. It's okay to resolve to do something, but do it. Whatever it is, whatever you're laying out before God, whatever you want to be in him, resolve to do it. Make it a point to do it and then do it, but don't do it in your own power. Do it in the power of Christ. Quit trying to depend on yourself. Quit trying to hang on to what you're capable of, what you can or can't do, because it's not about that anyways. There's no glory in it for, uh, for Christ if we are the ones who are accomplishing everything. What glory does he get in that if it's on me? What glory is there for Christ? Instead, I need to be reminded that it wasn't a bunch of Jews in a crowd that was mocking him. I mock him with my lack of faith. I mock him with my disobedience. I, wa- I mock him when I say I'm gonna do something and then I default on it time and time and time again. It was my sin that hung him on the cross. It wasn't a bunch of Jews that hated him because he was saying he was the son of God. It was my sin that hung him on the cross. And in the middle of that, he looked at me and he said, God, forgive him for he knows not what he does. I hold on to that promise. I wanna cling to that in this new year because he followed that up when I repented and I gave my heart to him and he said, Eric, truly, very truly, you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to be with him in paradise. What else am I going to do between now and then except serve him? What else am I going to do except invest in everybody that I can? I'm going to pour into my family and my friends. What else am I supposed to do with that except to pour myself out for his namesake, for his glory, because I didn't do anything. I'm wretched. And he loves me in spite of me. He loves me regardless of all of those things I've done, all those places that I've been, the things that I think about, the things that I try not to do and still do. He loves me in spite of all of those things. And he doesn't say, but you're gonna have to do it in your own power. Let me go ahead and tell you, I have never scared the enemy of my power. There has never been a moment where the enemy has stepped back. All right, boys, step back just a little bit. Here comes Eric. He hasn't. I can, I can assure you of that. I'm not that, I, I don't have it. So I am not causing the demons and, and the enemy to tremble. There's nothing that's so special about Eric that they're like, ooh, y'all heard of this boy Eric? I would love for that, and I wanna be that person. I wanna be Paul-like in that moment in Acts where they're at least like, hey, I've heard of Paul. I wanna be that person, but I can go ahead and tell you Paul wasn't operating in Paul's power That's the difference. They heard of Paul because of where he was operating. And that's the place I wanna operate from. That's the thing I wanna do. I wanna be in that place. And I wanna cling to that promise that there's gonna come a day. And regardless of what I see, whatever's before me, Isaiah 1 through eight says what? We know this. By now, this is what the Lord says. Who created you Jacob he who formed you Israel do not fear for I have redeemed you I have summoned you by your name you are mine and when you pass through the waters I will be with you and when you pass through the rivers they will not sweep over you when you walk through the fire you will not be burned the flames will not be set will not set you ablaze for I am the Lord your glory your God the Holy One of Israel your Savior I give Egypt for your ransom Cush and Seba in your stead Since you are precious and honored by sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made." Michael reminded us of God's promise in that. God reminded us last week of the power of that, of his faithfulness, of how he's met people in the fire and he held back the water. God reminded us and reminds us to this day in his word of his promises. And if I'm gonna go into this new year, if I'm gonna resolve to do anything, I'm gonna resolve to walk in the power of Christ. I'm going to resolve to lean on him and quit trying to lean on Eric. I'm going to resolve to throw away a tire and quit worrying about the car because I trust God has the car. I want to resolve to be invested in this place. I want to see people reach for the kingdom's sake. I want to see people who are far from them come home. I want to see the prodigal sons return. I want to see all of those things, and I want a church that wants to be that too because I'm sick and tired of the enemy holding us back from all of that. God has called us into something in this place, and it's exciting as we look forward to this new year, as we look forward to what we're going to do. God is going to do some incredible things in this place in 2020. Stick around and see. I dare you. If you think I'm joking, keep coming. There are people praying, there are teams of people praying. There are people mobilizing. There are people ready to get sent. Come see what God's about to do in this place. And I pray that it's not just in this place, that it's in every church that proclaims him as king, that there's about to be something that happens in the big C church, but it's gonna take us resolving to do it and then doing it and then doing it in his power. I wanna see that. I can't wait for the promise because there's gonna come a day where we're gonna see it. Revelation sixteen, eleven through sixteen says this, and worshiping if y'all want to, y'all can come on. Sixteen, eleven through sixteen says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. That's what I'm waiting on. That's the promise that I'm holding on to. that's the promise that I want to see one day, that I am going to be a part of an army that's ready to take back everything that we have been promised, that's ready to restore the heavens and the earth and bring creation back into what God called it to be. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a church that we're focused on that, that we get to be there with, with the king, the triumphant king. That's the king that's coming back, the triumphant king, the victorious king. We are victorious in Christ Jesus. We can cling to that. We can hold on to that. There is a promise that is beyond anything that we can understand. But I want to spend every day until I get to see him again trying to understand it more. Trying to lean into it more. I can't wait to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in paradise. But what are we going to do until then? What's 2020 going to look like? What are we gonna resolve to do and then do in the power of Jesus? Isn't that good news? That we can sit here and we can resolve to do something in him and we can trust in that power. Isn't it good news that I don't have to do anything except own whatever's mine and repent? After that, it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through everyone. So where are you this morning in that? How does that look? Are you the one that thinks you're too far away from salvation? That there's no way this Jesus that home on a cross would ever redeem you because you know what you've done. If you have never seized the moment of salvation, if you have never given your life and the throne of your life to Jesus Christ, we want to give you that chance this morning. And like I said before, don't miss it if today's the day. Because none of us are promised tomorrow. And why would you wait? There is an unmistakable, unfathomable joy that comes. Just ask some of these men and women who have just given their lives to Jesus. They will just look at their faces. Look at the countenance of their face and how it changes when they know Jesus. You just look different. There's just something about you because now there is something different. Now you are the dwelling place of God. And the Holy Spirit just from who you are and it's still nothing you did except owning what's mine owning what I need to own and repenting and calling Jesus Christ Lord and Savior confessing what I believe in my heart that he is Lord if that's you this morning if you you know that today is today if your heart's racing and you're feeling a little funny about all this stuff the enemy is going to tell you just wait till next week You can come back next time. You can come back, and you can get that. That's how he works. It took me a month and a half, and then finally Jesus just said, "Okay, today's the day." And it's a whole story. I'll tell you about it later. But every day I just kept saying, "No, I'll get it next week. I'll get it next week. I'll get it next week." Don't miss that. I can promise you. I waited five more weeks for something that was the best thing I ever experienced in my life. That I didn't have to wait. I didn't have to wait. I just had to be bold, and I had to take that first step. But there's a cross that shows us it's not about what we can do; it's about what He did. So if that's you this morning, if you have never received salvation through calling Jesus Christ your Lord, we, we're going to ask you to do something bold. I'm asking you to raise your hand, and we're going to celebrate in this place for you. With you, we're going to we're going to get excited. We're going to shout. We're going to yell because that's what heaven does. And so that's what this place should look like in that moment. Because a son or a daughter came home. And so there should be a celebration. So if that's you this morning. Will you just raise your hand? We got some people here that want to pray with you, they want to talk with you about it. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ and you want to do that this morning, don't miss your opportunity. Just stick your hand in the air. Then for the rest of us, what's twenty twenty gonna look like? What are you tired of laying down and picking up? What are you tired of saying you're going to do and then not doing? What have you failed to commit to and follow through on? What is it that you want to give God for this year? What do you really want from 2020 from God? What do you really want through Connection Church? What do you really want in your life as you follow Christ? What does that thing We're gonna give you a time to respond and we're gonna worship God and this altar is yours whatever that is come lay it down come resolve to lay it down and leave it there in the power of Christ whatever it is you're resolving to do resolve to do it with hope with excitement with joy because there is a promise that assures us that we do not have to walk in our own power that we can walk in the power of Jesus Christ there is something that happens in these moments come experience freedom again Come lay down whatever it is. Come resolve to do whatever it is God is calling us to. Come say, I want to be a part of that today. I want to invest. And then go do it. Go do it. I'm so excited for what God has for us. I'm so excited for what we're going to see in 2020. Man, it's going to be good there's going to be some things that happen and people are going to step up in leadership. Man, God's going to do some incredible things. they are going to be lives reached for the name of Jesus. His glory is going to be made famous because we're making that a priority. We're making that a priority. We want Him to be famous in this world. And we're so excited that every one of you are here, that you're a part of it. Let's resolve to do it together. And then let's do it together. But let's all do it in the power of Jesus. Isn't that good news? That's such good news for us. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna give you time up here. Father God, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. So excited about what you're doing in this place in 2020, God. So excited for what the future holds and how you're gonna use this church and how you're gonna use the people here and your connect groups and how we're gonna use serving for those who don't know you, Lord. They're gonna come people in here who are hurting and broken, and they are going to hear the name of Jesus, and they are going to respond, and they're going to experience joy. They're going to experience peace. There are going to be wounds that are healed. There are going to be chains that are broken in this place this year, God. There's going to be freedom that happens in this place. We are going to see lives transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. God, we are holding on to that. We want to resolve to be all that you would have us to be in this year that's coming. We want to trust you fully. We want to respond faithfully. We want to step out boldly. We want to be courageous and proclaim the name of Jesus, just as if that man would that would have got down that cross if he could. He would have told everyone about Jesus. That's what we want in this coming year, God. We want to be a church where people are loved and welcomed, regardless of what they look like, where they've been, how they feel. We want them to experience Jesus from the parking lot all the way through this place. We want children to get tapped by the Holy Spirit and start to have that seed planted, that they are going to be ministers, that they are going to be missionaries, that they are going to go out to the ends of this earth. They're going to plant churches. God, we want to see ministries come alive in this place. We are trusting in the power of Jesus Christ that it's not going to be anything we do or anything that's because of a name. It's going to be because of Jesus. So, God, we want to lay everything down that's going to hinder us from that in this moment. We want to lay everything down that's going to bind us from that. We want to put everything aside and trust in the power and the promise of Jesus Christ. And we are going to look forward to the day where we see the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when we are standing in paradise with him. Lord, thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. We are so excited. But we want to give you all the praise, all the glory, because it is yours. We love you and we thank you. Be with us in this place right now.